You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. So you join us on the segment uh, Travel Express and Alhamdulillah, whilst uh, Ibrahim Barachia is in the city of uh, Cape Town, Muhammad Ayaz Karim, uh, old favorite, has uh, joined us this evening. Muhammad Ayaz, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. How are you doing this on a beautiful evening? Wa Alaikum Salaam wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. It is so good to be back. I feel like... Uh, uh, something was missing over the last uh, few weeks. You know, and I think uh, being here with you this evening remind, uh, made me realize what was missing. No, Alhamdulillah, it's great to have you back. And, uh, you know, you're always so busy and in the world of broadcasting, uh, there's uh, sometimes, you know, no time to breathe. Uh, but in your case, you know, you're being in the production house and the broadcasting and so forth. You know, what goes through your mind as you, you know, we we actually flying through the year, Mohammed Ayaz. And, you know, uh, you know we, 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 we nearly, it's the end of the year. Talk to me. You know, I, you, you, you are so spot on. I honestly, um, I am in denial. After January, every month, I still, I have this thing where I'm like, oh, it's still the beginning of the year. Still, I have this, uh, this uh, delusion in my head till around August. Honestly, I have this thing. But now, once it hits the September, October, November, then you know you're at that end point. Yet somehow, it still feels good. You know, they say the bucket in time is really we're losing the bucket in time, and time is moving a lot faster, and. Um, I feel I feel like uh, a lot of people can relate to that because you just it feels like as if you blink and it's gone, you know, uh, and it's crazy. But what can you do? I think the only thing we can do is make the best of the time that we do have and spend it in productive ways. Now, Muhammad Ayaz, I don't know who takes the dirt out. Uh, you know, we do it weekly, and our turn here in uh, you know in Springer Beach is on a Monday, so. Uh, I take out the dirt Monday in, in the morning. I maybe I think I'm the second one in my street since uh, another guy, uh, another brother beats me. And uh, I just realize, you know, I mean, I'm looking to the bin now. And I say, I can't believe it. You know, the bin bag now is already uh, well, three-quarter full of this happening and that. But it's amazing that, as you said, you know, uh, time is flying and time is ready at a, at a faster pace. But uh, according to, uh, you know, someone that did the research, they said it is, uh, you know, the sun and the, uh, the moon, the computation is still the same. Uh, the speed of the, uh, you know, sun rising in the east and setting in the west is still the same. There's something's wrong with the man within himself, his physicality and his physiological clock. He has, uh, you know, it's programmed himself. Yeah, he's programmed himself. To uh, make belief that there's no time because of so, all this, uh, he's, he's subjugated himself to all these apps and this technology. It's giving him that false sense of impression. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, uh, Mohammed? My my theory is that uh, when you're in a so say for example you meet up in a car accident, right? What happens? You your adrenaline immediately kicks in, right? You go into fight or flight mode, and you are just operating purely on that adrenaline. So even if you injured, there's been a lot of uh, situations where somebody was badly injured, but they just did what they needed to do to help the next person or get out of the situation because they didn't realize and because of that adrenaline kicking in, right? And I feel like the way the world uh, has become nowadays and the amount uh, of pressure we all are under on such a continuous basis it 
feels as if we're almost all running on adrenaline all the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that's just literally my theory. I don't uh, have any scientific uh, research to back that up. <laughs> hey, you hit the nail on the head. I always knew you were a genius, but uh, with the theory, you hit me now. <laughs> you hit it there, Mohammed, right on the head. Now, you know, talking about that uh, adrenaline pumping, there's a train. The China, you know, we're talking about the China's uh, cross-sea uh, cross, uh, bullet train. How does China's uh, new cross-sea uh, bullet train, uh, you know, uh, train line near the Taiwan Strait impact uh, geopolitical tensions in the region? I mean, they got a bullet train going. And you know, today you don't need a bullet, you need a nuclear warhead. But anyway, let's talk Definitely. about this bullet train. Yeah. Train, yeah, Mohammed. So this new uh, cross-sea bullet train near the Taiwan Strait is actually a, a, quite a game changer, right? So it uh, showcases China's engineering superiority because we can't, it's undeniable that China is uh, engineeringly superior, but it also serves as uh, somewhat of a geopolitical statement. So the location could be uh, interpreted as a strategic move uh, to assert dominance in a region that's already fraught with tensions, as you are well aware. Uh, but for travelers, this adds an, actually a new layer of complexity. So your journey could be crossing not just physical, but also uh, political boundaries. But um, I think that definitely is the reason. I think it is China asserting their dominance and also uh, just showing the world, look look what we can do that none of you are even close to achieving. No, Alhamdulillah, when you talk about the bullet train and you know uh, its popularity, uh, I mean, it's amazing that uh, uh, China, I mean, uh, has, has come in so late. Uh, why is that, Mohammed Ayas? I mean, you know what? I think, uh, I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I wouldn't say uh, it's with regards to like their timing, because if you look at uh, what China has focused on and what they've uh, accomplished with regards to uh, the engineering feats and development feats and uh, just structural uh, and like even uh, you see uh, when China comes into any country in Africa and develops infrastructure, they move at a pace that is exponentially faster than any other country in the world. Right. So I don't think China feels the need to um, try and keep up or compete in these. Like, you know, back in the 60s, there was the space race where America and uh, the Soviets were like, all everyone wanted to be the first in space. And I think China uh, has made it more than clear that they dominate when it comes to this field. So I don't think they are interested in trying to compete because there is really no competition. No, absolutely. As you said, uh, really, there's no competition there. And, uh, you know, they're not competing, but, uh, you know, they're trendsetters and they uh, they don't get, uh, you know, flustered uh, that easily. And, you know, when uh, we move on and we ask the question, why are the uh, you know, economic implications of the new bullet train, uh, the train line for China, and it's a neighbor, you know, and it's a neighboring country. What are the, uh, you know, geopolitical, uh, I mean, all the implications Economic of the train line? So, Jay. well, look, beyond uh, uh, just being much faster and a lot more convenient, uh, it's also uh, a very significant economic investment, right? This train. So, it's actually been designed with the intention of boosting local economies uh, by enhancing tourism effectively and facilitating trade. 
but that could create um, somewhat of an economic imbalance in this region, potentially forcing uh, neighboring countries to ramp up their own infrastructure to try and compete for tourists. So this could mean more travel options in the future, but also uh, for us as travelers or tourists, this could affect us uh, in a sense that uh, prices could definitely fluctuate if neighboring countries feel the need to try and compete, because obviously as they spend more money to compete with China, it's obviously going to, uh, the, the end user always feels the brunt the most. So that is the, I think those are the main economic implications. Yeah, I know you talk about tensions and all that, uh, and we know when all these tensions take place, there's only one country in the world that's always causing this uh, you know, tension between countries. And you know the name, uh, Mohammed. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think everybody listening knows the, the name. But I think <laughs> uh, in this in this situation right now, especially with Taiwan, I think if they keep uh, poking this bull, they are really going to... They are in for a rude awakening. I really don't think... Uh, Realistically, Uncle Shafat, like, and I mean, we're not fully aware of what uh, America has hidden because it's um, highly likely that America has things or uh, weapons or resources hidden that no one in the world is aware of. But I think at this point, China um, has underst- understands this game and they are playing this game better. So the fact that uh, this Biden uh, the presidency keeps stoking these fires and keeps instigating. It just, it honestly, it feels like suicide almost to me uh, for America. Mm. No, as you said, uh, yeah, the Russians, uh, they still call the Russian the Bay. Eh? They still call them the Bay. And uh, yeah, and uh, these Chinese have been given a special name. And But uh, you'll find out that, uh, the oh, the bulldog, there was a president, no, a prime minister that was called a bulldog. Can you remember who was given that nickname of bulldog, uh, Mohammed Ayaskari? I actually don't even recall, uh, I, that's not <laughs> even, uh, yeah, frame of reference for me, to be honest. <laughs> I don't even recall, yeah. <laughs> Must I give you a clue? Uh, maybe it was long before your time. Yeah, maybe. Uh, he had a fat cigar in his mouth. And was he it grossly. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. I, I mean, that was my first guess because I mean, he is a despicable, filthy human being, and he. When I think <laughs> of dog, I think Winston Churchill. So I mean, that was. I think it was a a, a lucky guess there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That guy had. Uh, I mean, there's some uh, horrendous story about that man all over when you look at the news and all that. And, uh, you know, the less of, of him, the better. Hermanus uh, Whale Festival, you know, the, the cancellation. And, I mean, uh, that's uh, that has been such a, a, a you know, a tourism uh, a booster that is to make a lot of money for that part of the world. Now, how right. significant is the Hermanus Whale Festival to the tourism-generated income of Hermanus, uh, uh, Muhammad Ayas? So look, uh, this uh, Hamanas Whale Festival, it's more than just a local event, right? It's literally a tourism magnet for South Africa. Um, the cancellation has a huge ripple effect on our economy. Um, and it affects everything from uh, hospitality to retail. So for travelers, I mean, look, this could mean fewer crowds, but also fewer cultural experiences available. And I just think um, we will feel we will feel, uh, the economy is definitely going to feel the cancellation of this event. Hamanus is one of the biggest uh, tourist attractions, specifically to Europeans and Americans in South Africa. So, 
Yeah, I think this is a sad, a sad situation currently. Now, Muhammad Ayaza, you know, you've been fortunate. You have traveled the world. And have you been to these, uh, you know, whale, uh, have you been to a whale, uh, uh, what do you call the sites, uh, seeing uh, expedition, or have you seen these uh, big, uh, you know, okra, the whale, and all these things in captivity being uh, entertaining you, or have you been to a dolphin show and so forth? Talk to uh, us. I've been to uh, Disney. So and then I so there's like a sea world there, but I mean it's just many many years ago. I like I have uh, some memories recollections uh, of dol- the the dolphin show, but I can't recall if they were they were whales. Uh, but yeah, I'm not really into that sort of stuff. Huh? To be completely honest, mm. like it doesn't. It's not. Uh, I, I I just don't like the idea of. Uh, Animals in captivity being used for entertainment. It's not some, but it's like I don't have a a, a strong uh, stance on it either way, but it's just not my preference, let's just say. <laughs> you know, I, I've been fortunate, you know, living near the Indian Ocean and as a young lad, I saw many porpoises and many dolphins on our shorelines. And I also have had the odd, uh, you know, glimpse of uh, these huge whales coming and clapping their, you know, the tails here and making like thunderclaps and so forth. And it was a sight to be- uh, behold, especially no, the porpoises, the dolphins. And I don't know if you, did you watch those uh, phenomena near the Durban Beach, uh, uh, near Badito? You you have seen that, Alhamdulillah. If you didn't see, then you, you know, we miss out our big time. But uh, due to all these uh, different types of uh, pollution taking place and dirt coming through, I think that site is getting a more rare and rare. But uh, recently, we saw a whole school of uh, dolphins, you know, coming through, and there was a, uh, I think, this whale uh, giving birth, and they were, you know, splashing around. Did you see that footage? I haven't seen the footage. Please, you send me a link. I, I think uh, things like this just constantly re- remind us uh, about the glory and the kudrat of Allah and that we can never fully comprehend it. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, can you imagine, like, uh, our oceans, if you had to really explore the true depths of our oceans, who knows what is out there? So we we need to really be grateful every day because we... I just think we take for granted sometimes uh, the blessings that we have, you know, because uh, we get so caught up with life. <laughs> no, no, well, well said there. As you said, uh, look uh, within yourself, you see the signs of your maker and your creator. And look around you, you will see the signs of our creator and our maker, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, Muhammad, they are sticking to this topic too. What alternative ways are organizers, uh, you know, organizers exploring to uh, celebrate and educate the public about marine life. So they definitely are uh, scrambling and they're not sitting idle. So uh, they've started exploring other avenues like virtual whale watching sessions uh, or localized events that uh, adhere to the the guidelines, right? But uh, this adaptability could set a precedent for other festivals uh, to navigate that uh, era. But I think... It's offering travelers an option that are safe and are enriching for their experience, but I don't think it's they are capable of putting on anything that is going to uh, reach the same level as the event. So, of course, they are going to try, uh, but I don't think they're going to be able to uh, compensate fully. Yeah, we talk about that. Yeah, you won't get uh, that comp- I mean, 
that phenomena is something, and I don't know what's up behind the whole thing, but uh, all over people are being compromised in the dunya, you know, especially when you look at uh, New York's heavy rains and, you know, how extreme, how are extreme weather patterns like uh, heavy rains in uh, New York linked to global warming, uh, Mohammed Ayaz? So, you know, uh, this is a little bit of a double-edged sword, I, th- th- this question, because this extreme weather is a glaring example of climate change's impact on on travel, right? According to uh, the experts, it's not just about packing umbrellas anymore. It's literally about understanding these weather patterns because they are becoming extremely uncomfortable. We're seeing this almost, it's becoming a a daily thing within the news headlines where almost one of the headlines on a daily basis uh, has to do with a major weather event, right? Uh, But I think uh, if these, these sorts of patterns occurring so frequently is definitely going to affect uh, affect everything from flight schedules, outdoor activities, um, and just travel, the travel sector in general, because it's just, it, it, we're not talking about your average rain. We're talking about uh, life-threatening, serious situations. And I mean, look at what uh, happened in Richards Bay over the weekend. Look at uh, look at the uh, look at Durban in general has just suffered. Look at the Western Cape currently. Our country alone is uh, more than there are more than enough examples to uh, illustrate us what's happening. You know, mm, you make a very valid point there indeed. And you know, what impact did the torrential downpours have on New York? Uh, you know, the the New York's public transportation system. So I I don't know if you saw any videos, but it was it was intensely severe. So uh, from the footage I saw, there were like the underground was flooded. Uh, it was it exposed the, it, all the vulnerabilities in New York's public transport system. Uh, so people who are relying on like subways were still the safest. But I mean, I saw footage of uh, cars where the water was was so high that you couldn't actually see the tire at all. That's how high the rain was. Uh, it is, yeah. I mean, I have, I literally, I can't, I can't fully comprehend the sort of uh, weather. But my theory, I, I genuinely believe, and you might call me crazy, but I genuinely believe that a lot of these things are uh, man-made phenomena. <laughs> Let's just say that. You know, I actually saw some of the footage, and it was amazing. People were sitting in the train, and you know, and suddenly the waters just rose up, and they all jumped onto onto the seats and so forth. And uh, cars were submerged, uh, submerged uh, deep, deep, deep uh, into like uh, you know the river-like uh, conditions there. And also in the Cape, you remember the rains came in and uh, the places flooded, uh, bridges were washed away, and then there were like literally fish swimming uh, at uh, near your or your veranda or near your windowsill, uh, Mama Dayas. It is. It, it... You know, I'm just, uh, I, I, every day I make sure that I love in Joburg because so far, <laughs> Joburg has experienced, uh, I would say, the least uh, of like, because let's be honest, KwaZulu-Natal has really had a, a rough a rough time over the past few years. And the Western Cape is catching up slowly. But here in Gauteng, we have been, uh, we've had earthquakes here, right, recently. Uh, and the one was literally... Uh, uh, in, like in a five kilometer radius of my house, but it's really there, there was no uh, uh, real impact. But I mean, with regards to the rains and the flooding and stuff like that, we have been very fortunate, Shukar. Yeah, I think you make a very valid point indeed. And also, we had those uh, spring tides, you know, that broke the shorelines and few restaurants and all the waters got in there and so forth. And as we move on, hey, something that people 
you know, I don't know if we got, uh, I mean, uh, bed bugs, you have to be careful because these bed bugs can be nasty little, uh, you know, creatures there. So uh, what measures is, uh, you know, the French government taking to combat uh, the bed bug infestation in, in Paris, uh, Mohamed Ayas? I didn't. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be nasty, but I find this a little bit funny because I mean, um, <laughs> the Paris, the, the like the French, uh, uh, the French government. I, I honestly detest them. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, I detest the man, uh, and just the French, their history in general is just so uh, absolutely disgusting and appalling, and, and their attitude up till today is still so. Uh, condescending and arrogant and this that they have this false superiority so the fact that Paris like France is slowly burning to the ground I it makes me a little feel a bit warm inside but I mean with regard to this big bed bug situation so Paris is actually reaching a really critical point now so it's actually prompted government intervention they've launched uh, all these sort, all sorts of uh, public awareness campaigns and uh, they've even got dedicated hotlines for travelers uh, so this is definitely going to affect tourism because it's going to affect accommodation choices and it's going to make it essential for people to be really thorough with checking reviews, ratings um, for any signs of infestations. But uh, yeah, as you know, like I don't think anybody is uh, extremely excited to be traveling to France uh, like anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And, you know, how is the bed bug issue affecting uh, Paris uh, or Paris's uh, preparation for the 2024 Olympic Games? So it's literally, I mean, if you think about it, the, as they're preparing for the Olympics, this bed bug issue actually becomes like a global concern, right? Because the city is under immense pressure to resolve it. Before welcoming, you, you're talking about athletes, world-class athletes and tourists from every corner of the world. Uh, so this could lead to... As far as, as my guess is, it's going to probably lead to much stricter regulations for accommodations and public transport, uh, and it's going to affect logistics uh, of the actual Olympics, which is essentially going to become a nightmare. So I have a my prediction is that next year's Olympics is going to go down as one of the worst in history. Hmm. <laughs> maybe it would. Uh, hope you know. I wish we. You know, we don't hope for bad, but uh, this country. I'm not wishing bad on people, right? But I just think mm. about time that uh, the Western world gets a taste of its own medicine. <laughs> yeah, as they, they, you know, going paranoid about hijab and so forth. And uh, a lot of false flag operations by this government also. As we move on to a attack, the grizzly bear attack in Canada, you know, what factors... Uh, are contributing to the increase in uh, bear attacks in uh, Canada's uh, Banff uh, Ban- uh, National Park, uh, Mohamed Ayas? So look, the rise in, uh, in these bear attacks is actually uh, quite a complex issue. So it's basically increased human activity in bear habitats is like one main factor, right? Uh, the, the climate changing effects, food availability for bears is another big factor. And then you have the issue of uh, travelers who actually venture into those areas uh, without actually being educated on any sort of bear safety or awareness of the environment and the impact that they could have. So if you've got, uh, you know, tourists are notoriously inquisitive and curious, but if you aren't educating tourists about their surroundings, and if you come from a country that doesn't have bears, for example, you would be none the wiser. So I think that uh, those are the main factors that are uh, responsible for the rise in attacks seen in Canada. 
And uh, how is, uh, you know, how's uh, uh, or how is uh, Parks uh, Canada responding to the recent fatal grizzly bear attack in terms of uh, public safety, uh, Mohamed Dayas? So they've uh, actually started implementing these multifaceted safety measures, uh, including temporary area closures. Uh, and they've now, which I think is a bit absurd, but they've started uh, with enhanced public education, which I think should have always been uh, there. But uh, for travelers, this basically means you'll have to stay updated on advisories and adjustments uh, and also like uh, closing times. So when if you are planning a trip, then you're going to have to be a lot more uh, thorough and specific with regards to your itineraries and travels. Because now with these sort of restrictions and limitations, it's going to make it a lot more difficult to, to do what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Mm, so uh, they are... You know, responding to this as, you know, you see the time is really flying here. And uh, we go to the uh, Libya, Italy commercial flight. And it's believed that the first uh, commercial flights after 10 years is about to take off. Uh, uh, Mohamed Ayas, talk to us uh, about this. So after like a 10, uh, like a decade long hiatus, so the resumption of flights is actually quite a monumental step. Uh, it signifies basically a thawing of relationships and the opening of doors for economic and cultural exchange, right? So for travelers, this could mean new destinations to explore. But uh, I think it's important that uh, the, you have an, uh, an understanding of the political context of uh, this travel because, I mean, there's so much history there. And it's like, I don't know, I just, I feel like... Uh, uh, almost as if corporate, the, the corporations of the world are willing to make anything available and try and sell anything. For them, it's always about the bottom line and the profit. And uh, the problem with human beings nowadays is that we are so, we've become such simple-minded cheap that anything new or anything that's revolutionary or first of its kind or just whatever is shiny, we are so easily distracted by this uh, these distractions that we fall for it time and time again, and you see it every day. I just think people need to start uh, thinking more, thinking more for every decision they make. And I mean, it's easier said than done because, like, part of being a human being is being impulsive. But uh, when you are, when you realize that we are actively being deceived and just manipulated in every aspect of our lives, then you realize the importance of making these conscious decisions and thinking critically. Now, well said, Mohamed Ayaz. And uh, finally, how does the Memorandum of Understanding on uh, Civil Aviation Cooperation affect uh, airline companies? So look, this uh, Memorandum of Understanding is more than just paperwork. It's basically a framework for future cooperation. Um, I feel it could lead to increased flight options, more competitive pricing, or even like new routes. Uh, but and for the for, for tourists or like people who are ever travelers, this is a, a good thing because it offers more flexibility, more competitiveness, and more choices. But um, I think that's where it really ends. It's just it, like I said, it's another uh, another selling point. So in terms of the tourism industry, yeah, it's it's good for the sector. But yeah, that's about it. Well, talk about Italy, talk about Libya, the rich history, and talk about uh, Muammar Gaddafi, Rehmullah, being murdered uh, by the U.S. And it's, uh, yeah, these other people, they all sold him out, uh, Tony uh, what, uh, Tony Blair yeah. and all these guys. They used to take a lot of uh, donations from this man. 
and stab him in the back. And it's a, it's a lesson for the Muslim world, Qaddafi, Saddam Hussein, uh, you know, and so forth, uh, that you can't uh, trust the West, uh, Muhammad Ayaz. Yeah, I think Sal- uh, Muhammad bin Salman is uh, smarter than his predecessors. Uh, mm. And I think he is very aware of uh, the snakes that he surrounds himself with. And I think he is, um, he's decided to like, you know what, I no longer will be a submissive multi-multi-trillionaire and just sit on my golden throne, which is what a lot of his uh, predecessors did. I, I think he is actively trying to uh, dominate globally. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out with uh, the Arab world uniting and dominating, you know? Yeah, and I got to know, uh, you know, Libya, uh, the line of the desert. Uh, you remember Umar Mukhtar? I don't. Hey, you need to watch that. You need to watch that uh, documentary on uh, Umar Mukhtar, and you see what they did to him. And it was the same uh, Mussolini, you know, the Italian dictator uh, yeah. that had him hang, you know, because he was a liberation fighter for the Libyan people at that time. I, I, I remember when I watched that. I really cried uh, for Marhum, uh, you know, who was a legend and also a martyr of, of the of the House of Islam. Uh, Muhammad Ayaz, really enjoyed your company uh, this evening. Perhaps your parting words? No, I mean, I, I, it, it, it was great to be back. I think uh, we we long overdue for uh, one of your shows where we talk about these global geopolitics. Inshallah, inshallah. So much happening right now uh, that it's like, I mean, I can't even keep up, to be honest. <laughs> No, Alhamdulillah, maybe, yeah, we'll uh, pencil you in uh, uh, maybe this week also. But uh, Jazakallah khaira to you for joining us on uh, uh, Travel Express. And uh, inshallah, you have a, a beautiful evening ahead. And, uh, you know, uh, before I greet you proper, let me uh, also thank our engineer, Lukolo, for doing a great uh, tech uh, this evening. Uh, Muhammad Ayaz, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I can't wait to be back. Speak to you soon. Inshallah, you. Yeah, you'll be there soon, and inshallah time uh, for us uh, to bid you farewell. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.